Hi, I'm Patrick Palm, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to these interviews is that Favro clients are some of the most innovative and agile businesses out there. And it's used for collaborative planning by marketing teams, by product teams, HR, management teams. And what this means is that we get to know some truly inspiring people. So what we do in this podcast is that I invite them here for conversation about something where they are true leaders. So we can all learn from it. Let's go. Today we got uh, Daniel here, um, uh, which uh, has been a, been a client for, for a while, you know, building an, uh, a, a truly visionary company. Um, Atomotage, Atomotage, do I pronounce it right now? Yeah. At a montage, at a montage. Yeah. 90% right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's all good. Uh, you know, language was never my thing at school. You know? <laughs> um, fortunately, I was better at, you know, math and other things. Mm. Um, so, I mean, you know, I, I always love having kind of lunch or just simpler conversation with, with you know, with a fellow entrepreneur. And, and you know, you, uh, you, you've been at it for, you know, for, 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 for a while. Um, so... I mean, I guess the question I would really like to ask is that, you know, you know, what were the d- defining moments, you know, you, you, you know, doing your, your entrepreneurial journey, because, you know, you, you've done several things. And mm. I mean, you know, what was the, the, the kind of a defining moment that led you to, to truly, you know, become an entrepreneur in the first place? And, and, and also, of course, you know, now with um, uh, Atomatosh, you know, how, uh, you know, what was the defining moment that, that created that story? Yeah, thanks. Um... Good question. I, I, I actually have to dig um, in my memory quite a bit for that. But uh, I have before Adamantage, I had kind of 20 years of game development uh, in, in, in the bag. And it was at larger companies in the beginning, but mostly it was my own indie studio. So that was an entrepreneurial journey also. And uh, I grew up in Sweden and moved to the US about 20 years ago. So I was in my teens, like 16 years old and so on. And it was before college. I went to college in the US, ended up dropping out of college. And one of those moments that uh, you're asking about is, you know, I was really had in my mind that I wanted to be a programmer. I loved computer uh, science. I love computer uh, games. And I um, was on that track to be uh, an employee, you know, working in in uh in a cubicle somewhere <laughs> working on uh, churning out code and and all that it was like my whole mindset was was on that rail you know like that uh career path going through you know getting the bachelor's degree in computer science and and yeah going to work for some company uh and that got derailed i read i read uh, some books i it was some media really that kind of uh made that shift happen uh one of the my favorite movies of all time is office space if you guys um recall that cult classic by mike judge i believe uh about this this guy or his friends working at a stereotypical almost comically uh crappy corporate gig you know in in the u.s and uh how, it's, it's a great famous, movie. It was a baseball bat scene. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They, they, they take a bat to, to their printer because the printer is, you know, pissed them off one time too many. Um, that was, that was one, like those, those things that shifted my mind. Like I really don't want to be in that situation, even though it is a comedy and so on. So that was one thing. Another funny thing that um, comes to mind is that I actually started making a game 
inspired by all the other games I've been playing as a as a teenager uh, and and kid growing up. Uh, I've started making a game for myself, and uh, the goal of it was actually to land a, a job in the games industry with it, so to use it as some kind of demo. And that actually worked out. Uh, I did end up dropping out of college uh, with a friend to start a, a what they call a cyber cafe. Uh, back then, that was a thing, you know, where you, you there was a bunch of computers in a retail space, and you could come in and surf the internet. But we 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 made it into a land party place, so that was the concept. This did not work out. After a year of running that business, I realized I never want to run a retail business again. But uh, we did drop out of college for that, and then I never went back because. I had this game project that I could actually apply for some um, game companies. And I ended up getting, uh, I ended up moving to Arizona. I was in California at the time and then moving to Arizona. I, I got hired at Rainbow Studios with, I think, mostly this game project. I could show that I had built something in C++ and it had physics and, and so on. Um, so that part of the plan worked out. What didn't uh, work out is that I realized I'm now in a cubicle again, <laughs> that I... Uh, and in the game company, cubicles are not as bad as, as some kind of, I don't know, accounting software firm, perhaps. But I also realized that I didn't really fit as a cog in a, a you know, a much larger machine. And uh, the project that I would sink years of my life into might get canceled by forces that are not out of my control and so on. And that really kind of, again, pushed me in this direction of an entrepreneurial Thing. So I ended up quitting that company just to focus on this game that I had started building in my teens, even before I moved to the U.S. And that really started this this entrepreneurial journey that lasted a long time. Uh, and I ran this uh, studio that initially released that game as early access before early access was a concept. I got that I got that idea from another game that really did it before me, but then. Um, Marcus Fashion, the, the Minecraft guy, got the idea about early access from 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 my game, Cortex Command. So this was very early days of, of the indie scene and so on. And I, I was part of that journey uh, as an entrepreneur. I think any indie can be considered an entrepreneur. They're starting a small, small company that um, builds very creative, innovative things. And so um, that was the beginning. Those were kind of like some of the moments that shifted me into doing the entrepreneurial thing, which... Yeah, some people, I think you've, you've even said this, uh, Patrick, is like the hard way. <laughs> it's the hard path in life. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Why, why choose the easy one when you can take, do, do the hard one? Um, exactly. But, but and, and then, you know, going back to, you know, uh, Atomatage, you know, how, um, you know, what was the, the thing that mm. you know, made that happen? It actually, it ties into the story that I, I just started. Um, because that first game I made, uh, Cortex Command, as it's called, uh, you can find it on Steam. It's open sourced and everything. But that had certain, uh, it, it was a 2D so side-scrolling game. And it was inspired by a game uh, called Liero. Uh, it's uh, obscure, but a kind of cult, cult uh, Finnish game. Actually, some Finnish developer made it. And it looks like Worms, Liero does. But it's in real time. And it's like you can have all this physics happening and you can dig into the ground and so on. And I, I built on that with Cortex Command where you can really have many different materials in the terrain, so to speak. Uh, and it's that perspective. It's like a cross section of the world and you can build bunkers that have harder um, surroundings and so on. And, and all of this, all, every pixel of the terrain had its own material properties and you can blast it off um, or you could add to it. If you died, your character died, he would actually become part of the terrain. So you, after a while, you would have these like 
you could do an archaeological survey of what has happened in a scene just based on on this interesting way of uh, modeling the world. And that led me to actually wanting to make a 3D version of that game. So that was all 2D. But uh, realizing what that would take is, is a really um, sophisticated technology to make those little pixels uh, in my game turn into cubes, which are called voxels, really. Um, you know, pixels are a 2D concept, and voxel is a 3D equivalent of that. And so I looked at all the different voxel technologies out there, and there's been a lot of projects. A lot of people have attempted to make uh, games and actually succeeded in the 90s. There were a couple of games, Comanche and uh, uh, Delta Force, and some of these things were published back then that used voxel technology. But then a certain thing happened in the in the world where hardware acceleration happened for, for all these polygonal games, and that has been the, the standard. But anyway, back to this, the kind of the stories that I was looking for, voxel technologies that I could use and um, for this new game I wanted to make, the, the Cortex Command in 3D. And I ended up finding my, my co-founder that way today. You know, um, back then he was, had already been working on his technology for or his project. It's a research project that was completely donation-based. He just published videos uh, for years and years already at that point. And this is almost exactly 10 years ago from now. So we started talking then and I started supporting him in any way I could. I sent him donations. I believe my game company was one of the biggest donors to his project. And I started showing and talking to people at all the game conferences I ended up going to anyway about this tech just to kind of see if I could make it more um, of reality where I could actually end up using it one day. I don't want to just help Prano along. And then eventually I started showing it to, to someone who, you know, uh, Patrick as well. It's uh, Tommy Palm. Uh, It's another entrepreneur here in in Sweden game in the game space. Um, And he told me pretty much straight up that this is amazing technology, but this one guy in Slovakia where my co-founder is, uh, um, he's not going to be able to build a whole company on his own with this. Like this is, um, something he needs help with. And Brano knew that too. He had that as part of his plan. But um, Tommy told me, find some, you know, like some, Brano needs a uh, someone to help him build the actual business. And and I immediately started to think like, who can I find? Like, who do I know who could do this? And Tommy then, you know, kind of uh, pointed out like, you already have the relationship with Brano. You have the trust and so on. Why, why not you? Um, and then the kind of coin dropped, and that's that was in 2017, and we came up with this. Um, yeah, uh, we started the company together at the end of 2017, very end, and we've been on this journey together now. And now we have a uh, a series of teams. Actually, we're still not very large. You know, we're 10, 11 people or something like this, and uh, we're we're building, we're putting out the first product just now. So in a month from now, we're going to actually have the first announcement, product announcement of what we've been building. So it's an exciting time, but yeah, that's the kind of story of how we're here today. So you mentioned, you know, voxels and, and, you know, kind of getting a little bit into, you know, what it is that, that you do, but, you know, you know, for the ones that aren't, you know, familiar with what, what this means, you know, how, how would you, um, uh, you know, how would you describe, you know, what, what, you know, voxels, uh, you know, mean in layman mm-hmm. terms and, yeah. and, and, you know, also more specifically, you know, what, what, what the company, you know, is, is, is trying to achieve here. And, you know, if you can, if you can give some examples of applications, that would be fantastic. Of course. 
Yeah, so so our slogan uh, publicly right now still, we're, we're changing it soon, but it's uh, the inevitable volumetric future. So when we say volumetric, it really is a way to describe, you know, what we're trying to do with computers is to model the world, right? Like the real world. And there's different approaches to do that and uh, different ways to represent the data and uh, represent geometry and so on. And uh, that that's true for many different media types, not just uh, 3D, for example. You know, you see that with audio as well. Uh, audio initially was like MIDI files and, and you know, all, the, all you're storing is notes, essentially, you know, tones or whatever, and that's what's being played back. And that's kind of a vector-based format, if you think about it. It's uh, uh, versus when I, when I say vector, I, I kind of uh, juxtapose it against sampling. So sampling happened... Uh, with audio also where you, you, you're you actually recording little samples of what is being heard right now. And then you can play that back later. Uh, uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a different way of representing the world in this, than this like mathematical vector uh, based way. And, and vectors have their, their benefits. They're, they're initially smaller to store and, and more efficient in some ways, but they're not really always um, the most accurate uh, way to, you know, you, if you wanna record a symphony orchestra, it's actually better to just have a microphone and record it and sample it instead of trying to come up with all the different notes that are playing at the same time and so on. It, it ends up being messy and, and, and actually bigger to store and to process eventually. So without getting too much into like the technical nitty gritty, it's, uh, this is a pattern that has happened in many different media types before. So in audio, I just mentioned, but also with pictures, uh, we had vector, we have vector graphics still, but it's, it was the earliest way to do computer graphics was all these vector things, you know, it's all you need to define are some points and you have lines between them and that's what you're drawing. Um, and uh, that eventually also went through this kind of evolution where we're sampling images now, everything is a pixel based image, you know, and pixels are just little samples, it's, it's colors that are arrayed in a, in a big grid uh, with a certain known distance between all those pixels. And that's a 2D media type, of course. And then video is, is adding another dimension, it's time, right? So um, that also in the initial, you know, forms of, of video was, was flash and all these things that are vector driven and you're storing objects and, and uh, things in mathematical kind of formulas or, or the coordinates. Um, but eventually we, we had breakthroughs in, in compression and then sampling technology to, to make videos uh, viable in terms of size and also transmitting them and, and processing them. And now we have YouTube and everything can be encoded in a 4K video and you don't need to mess with um, these vectors anymore because they are a little bit complex to actually store and to have uh, different formats of and so on. And the same thing, and this is what we call it inevitable uh, revolution that's going to happen with 3D is that 3D content is is in in our minds about to go through the same revolution. It just hasn't yet, and this same pattern that all these other media types. And so, that's really the kind of the 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 core of what we're doing is is this um, compression breakthrough that and really is Brano's work, my co-founder's work, who worked on this for almost 20 years now. Actually, it is about 20 years now. Uh, his R&D project started as kind of in the demo scene. Um, some people might know about that. He he made some early demos that won some competitions back in the day. These 256 byte demos that actually had graphics on the screen with the program, whole program being 256 byte large. It's crazy stuff. Um, and he won some competitions there. And that was the initial inception in his mind that this is the future uh, is to sample things in 3D instead of trying to describe only their surfaces 
uh, with triangles and vectors. Um, and that's, um, yeah, that's kind of a technical discussion. Yeah. What was the rest, second part of the question there? Uh, so if I understand you, you know, you're right here, you know, um, you know, you, you, you made an example that, you know, if we look at, you know, like um, sound, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, the MIDI, MIDI files. Yeah, know, yeah. And, and uh, they're becoming, you know, MP, uh, MP3s and, mm -hmm. and then, you know, with the video, uh, you know, flash, you know, mm -hmm. becoming really, you know, everything now can be a YouTube clip. Yeah. And uh, and what you're saying here is that uh, we're about to have the same thing happening to 3D. Yes, exactly. Because if you uh, think about, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. It's a, it's a good slogan. Though. Why do you want to change the slogan? It's an amazing slogan. It's, uh, the inevitable it's volumetric. It's, it's yeah. what you're doing. <laughs> um, okay, so I, I can. It's not revealed yet the new slogan, but it is uh, more descriptive of our of our product. You know. So yeah, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you'll see it in a month, um, but. It's more descriptive of our product. You know, the 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 current inevitable volumetric future is a good description of our vision and of our concept, so to speak. But it's not so much a good description of of the value proposition of our product. Also, we've had some interesting feedback that inevitable is not actually a very exciting term if you think about it, because it's going to happen in any way. So, like, why why should anyone get excited about it? You know, to push it. Um, so there's there's some there's some thinking behind it, but yeah, the new the new slogan is is a much more descriptive of of like what we actually do, and that's been a challenge for us. You know, we we have these breakthrough prototypes and so on that you can see on our website that prove that we can do certain things with very high resolution voxels um, and and this kind of um, geometry type representation that nobody else can. And I know this because I've been looking at all the different things out there for 10, over 10 years now uh, in this quest to find something for, for my game. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm not on that quest anymore because Tommy got me off of that quest. You know, that was a bigger impact in the world than making yet another game is to build some technology, you know, so. Um, but, but that's awesome. And, uh, you know, if you would get, are there any good examples of, uh, of this, uh, you know, you know, you know, more from a conceptual point of view, mm -hmm. uh, having an application already today, because I yeah. mean, what you're building, you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, a, you know, like a platform technology enable, you know, people to be able to do these things, but, mm -hmm. but all the applications already today to kind of give us a little bit of a, you know, a hint of what it is that, that, you know, yeah. your, your platform is enabling. Yeah. So I think even that is, is not revealed yet that we're building a platform, but it's, it's, it's fine to tease that. Um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, in terms of like in a concrete example is, um, uh, like I mentioned before that we're trying to model the real world in our computers and the mm -hmm. computers are just ones and zeros at the, at the very bottom, right? So it's all, mm -hmm. it's numbers that, 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 uh, uh, not only, um, store data, but also do things right. Like, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's all math and so we want to represent the world with this math somehow and mm -hmm. and you could do it by defining surfaces and defining um and tessellating surfaces and that's how most 3d graphics is done these days with this uh these triangles that make up polygons that make up surfaces and then we put textures on them and all this stuff um but then you're really only talking about the surface of a thing for mm -hmm. example so if you want to if you want to know what's on the inside of something which you do in a lot of cases if you want to something as simple as sculpting you know by adding or removing matter you need to have a model of what's on the inside 
Um, or if you want to uh, understand if, if in a game, if you want to uh, destroy something, you know, if you want to dig into the ground, for example, like you do in Minecraft, but at higher resolution, you need to know, or even in Minecraft, that makes sense too. I mean, at the low resolution, that conceptually, it's the same thing. You need to know what's in there. And if you don't have data, what's inside objects, uh, you either have to do some hacks or some tricks to kind of generate that data or have some kind of... Um, thing that that invents stuff on the inside when that's not really there yet um and it, it becomes very complex actually to do with with vector graphics um but a really concrete thing is for example we have some data sets that are available they're public to uh, available to the public from the uh, from from research done in the u.s where they've um actually it's it's a little bit gory but it this is kind of a academic thing uh that has been used in a lot of ways they they had people who were on death row who who donated their bodies to science and they froze down their whole bodies after they died and sliced off one millimeter at a time and took a picture of the cross-section and ended up with this 3d volumetric data set of the entire human body with all the organs and everything on the inside and uh um if you want to actually render that or do something with that as it has become a digitized uh, volumetric thing you can't really do that well with something that only describes surfaces right because there's much more than just the surface in there so if you want to for example do a virtual anatomy uh educational tool where really the real cadaver is kind of represented in depth trying to do that with polygons is going to be very uh, either limited or uh, lose a lot of that data that's there. You can yeah. uh, imagine, yeah. So, so the scientific community and you know medical community could uh, you know massively benefit from from this. Yes. I can I can see yes. from that example. But so so to go to like a Swedish example. I mean, there's been an absolutely crazy success of this you know new game Teardown, uh, which is which is a lot of fun. You know, like you know it's, it's kind of fun demolishing stuff, right? And that is a bit of a you know one man show you know game, but it's been doing crazy well on, on steam yeah um i mean can you comment on that because that's also <laughs> awesome, right? absolutely yeah so dennis gustafsson the the one man guy which he he does have other folks on the on the team that are helping him with building content and so on but he really built that whole engine and and, and the game design himself um he's he's a clearly a genius <laughs> he uh he didn't use any other engine out there he built it itself so that alone is is huge respect um, that he built it so innovatively uh, to use voxels to run the physics and also to run the ray tracing, which is very nice in that game for all the lighting and so on. That's all dynamic. So yeah, if you do wreck a house, which the, ho the, the game is like a heist-based game design, so you actually need to um, damage uh, houses or, or vehicles in, in uh, ways to actually succeed in your mission but if you if you put a hole in the in this in the roof of a house you actually see the sun come through and and so on um and you can do all that because of this technology he's built um yeah and, and it, i think it's a success uh, already and it, it has like ten thousand overwhelmingly positive reviews on steam in in it was released in october so in a couple of months you know this is a yeah, yeah, clearly awesome. a hit yeah it's amazing um and and rightfully so because and i think minecraft also it's building on this thing that Minecraft kind of started scratching the surface of, you know, this fact that um, we, we like to call it deep interactivity. We just made up this, this term, but it, it describes a little bit that a lot of the games out there, when they only describe surfaces, um, mm -hmm. 
you get these very pretty scenes and so on, but you can't really do a lot with them. You, you, you have this static geometry that is your, even Grand Theft Auto and so on. The whole city is amazing and it's large and looks amazing, but it is very static. Like you can't drive that car into the building and, you know, rob the bank uh, because there's nothing inside that hole, you know, most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and Minecraft started scratching the surface where at very low resolution, you can do anything you want, kind of like mm-hmm. Lego building blocks. And you can dig into the ground and find things inside of there and dig up, you know, uh, diamonds and whatever. Teardown is just taking it to the next level in the terms of the resolution. The cubes are much smaller than in, uh, you know, Minecraft's one meter cubes. And it's unlocking this thing in interactivity, which again, we call in deep interactivity, which you can deeply change the world. The world is... Uh, simulated in a much more realistic way that that approximates reality much more closely uh, even if it's large kind of chunky cubes the fact that that you can you can destroy them you can add to them you know um, you can build things with them you can have physical simulations happen like in teardown you can actually and in minecraft too actually you can you can set fire to things mm-hmm. and if they're made out of wood and if they have other cubes next to them they're also made out of wood that fire can spread you know mm-hmm. So this is something that really, I think, tickles people's minds, you know, in a way, because this this resembles the real world. It's doing things in a plausible simulation yeah. that you would expect, you know. And most games out there don't can't do this because of this limited representation of only surfaces that are kind of static most of the time. But if I can jump in there, you know, if I yeah. understand you right, you know, because I think, you know, many people have... Um, you know, they might have an experience or at least, you know, a feel for what, you know, what we know, you know, Minecraft is about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if people imagine that, but instead of things kind of looking blocky, uh, things look like, you know, real. Yes. Um, yes. You know, that's kind of the, 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 the experience we, you know, we're talking about here. Yeah. And, and, you know, before, you know, when, when I kind of dropped, you know, the term, you know, platform, you said, you know, hey, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a nice tease, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you know I, I can't wait, you know, to hear, you know, more exactly, you know, what it is uh, mm-hmm. that, that you're going to release here. But, you know, what I meant by that was that when, uh, you know, if you look at something like Teardown uh, and, and, you know, then you go to like your website, and kind of read about you know what it is that you potentially could could provide. You know, it feels like if if I wanna if if I wanna if I want uh, if I want help, you know, if I wanna buy something that can help me create that kind of experiences, mm-hmm. you know, you are the guys I should talk to. You know, I mean, mm. I think that's pretty clear already today yeah. from your website, even though it's yeah. not that's true. That's yet, true. You know, some of the things. So yeah, it seems like you know I, I understand what you're saying with you know uh, the, the problem with you know inevitable you know future, but but mm-hmm. I I actually really like it because. <laughs> You know, I, I want I want to be early on on a wave which mm. is coming. You know, it's like you know, if you surf, you don't want to be behind the wave. You want to yeah. be front of the wave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know, someone who can then you know help, um, you know, to 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 make that a reality. It's, it mm-hmm. seems like you know you're you're the company to partner with. Mm. You know, you know, this kind of very like from a distance kind of description of the whole thing. Do, do you feel am I getting it somewhat right, or or am I getting it a little bit wrong here? I think you're spot on. No, it's. Um... You know, we we uh, again. I I I don't want to reel reel too much, but but really, my passion in 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 life, and you can see that in my my previous games. Also, that first one I mentioned, Cortex Command, was uh, I think popular mostly because, and it had these very long legs. It it there's I believe still a community of people modding that game because it uh, allowed people to modify the game very deeply. And I built the tools and 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 enab- um, 
I released all the tools that I used myself to build the game. And I didn't, I didn't really have a plan for this, uh, but I built also the, that engine um, to be very data-driven and so on. So everything could be modified by these uh, little files that you could edit and so on. And, and, and that really took off and became like um, a thing where, where user-generated content in general, I think is such a powerful thing that is going to become even more big in the future you know we've only seen the beginning of of that um you know there there's been doom and mods and so on for a long time mm -hmm. and ugc i mean you see roblox now becoming an ipo it's one of the big kind of ugc ipos uh uh and and again i look at roblox and i see this is so early still this is just scratching the surface of what can be done and what we're really kind of the, what all this is amounting to even my other games that i've built uh it's just building on this like how can we make the friction between creator and consumer as little as possible, but also how can we blur the line between creator and consumer? So mm -hmm. the consumer becomes a creator and vice versa. And everyone becomes uh, the threshold for becoming a creator of, of any kind of content. And in our case, it's 3D content, but you know, it's so much lower. Mm -hmm. Because in the in the current day and age, with uh, with with the way we're doing 3D graphics, it's very complex. Like defining these surfaces and then mapping 2D uh, images onto them as textures. That ends up being a very complex setup that you need to worry about polygon count limits. You need to worry about the UV mapping uh, not getting messed up when you're editing either the texture or the the, the model. And this this really needs like a Renaissance person to to handle. You need to be technically savvy enough to run these tools that are very complex. Uh, mo the most complex computer you know programs we have are like 3D Studio Max, Maya, yeah, and so on. Yeah. Um, and you also need to have the artistic talent <laughs> to to you know make something that looks great. Uh, for example, so these these people are rare, and it's it's a shame that uh, only those folks can actually build something in in meaningful and in like three D content. And and I think lowering that barrier by having a much easier representation of the geometry where it's more like you're just working with clay or you know kids can can build whatever they want in Minecraft because it's just mm -hmm. these blocks. It's very conceptually simple. It's not simple to implement, unfortunately. Uh, in our case, it's fortunate because we we have ha we have a solution that works. But mm -hmm. after decades of 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 R and D on this, and many other people, very smart people, have spent five years on this, and it still wasn't enough to build something that had very low uh, high resolution, very small blocks in the end. Because really, if you think about it, your screen, you know, you might be sitting in front of a four K monitor now. You know, there's millions and millions of pixels there. And if you just make the screen a little higher resolution, it, it's going to be millions more pixels. But if you add another dimension and you want to increase the resolution, now you have an explosion of data. It's, it's, it's much worse, right? So you really need to have these breakthroughs to make it viable. And that's what we feel we have. And, and, and we are excited now because we can potentially and hopefully, and we're, we, we're confident that we have a way to really lower these barriers of entry to making stuff but also sharing them and 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 um, yeah, um, enjoying three uh, D content in a whole new way. You know, which which again, Minecraft and Teardown has scratched the surface of. It's a really tip of the iceberg. I feel uh, to make yeah. this yeah exciting but, future. I mean, I think that that that's very clear. And and um, um, uh, we need to talk a bit about you know best practices around you know working in, in a remote way. Um, and and in your you know case you know Dan you know you know we have this situation that in the middle of you know building this uh, you know startup you know with with a with a very um, 
exciting, uh, you know, potential, you know, suddenly, you know, COVID hits, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, but I, but I know, I mean, you're, um, you know, you're Swedish, but I know you have a bit of an American background as well. Um, uh, you know, you have, uh, we already talked about at least two countries, um, you know, you have raised, uh, you know, money uh, from, from, from angels, but you also got uh, raised venture capital from, from Makers Fund, which mm-hmm. has an absolutely amazing reputation. So, you know, obviously, you know, not only, uh, you know, tech people like, you know, John and I are, are very excited about this vision. Uh, I mean, well, a lot of VCs are also tech people, but, but you know, you also, you also managed to get the venture capital to think, you know, this is really cool. Mm. Um, so you've been able to, you know, to hire people at, at the fast pace. So, you know, your, your team has been going from, you know, just, just the two of you to, you know, now you get more people. So my question is really, you know, how did you, how did you handle, you know, the whole COVID situation now? When you know you can't really you know be together and and yeah. you know, how how do you plan to to uh, handle organization basically you know coming out of COVID because now we, we're starting to see kind of the light in the tunnel here with vaccines coming. Yeah, that's a good question. For for me personally, I, I um, it really wasn't even a bump in the road. I'm for uh, I mean for me it's lucky, but I almost feel bad that it's been such. Uh, little impact on my life because I've always worked remote in my, in the 20 years of making games before this. I, it was a completely remote team. We were 24 people in, uh, I think 10 or 12 countries on like four continents. So we never had an office and so on. So like using these remote tools and, and ways of working has been super natural for me. Um, super period natural. Um, and, uh, for at a montage, we've been a hybrid. So we have a core team that sits with Bronislav, my co-founder in, in Slovakia in an actual office. I mean, clearly not this year, but pre- prior to it. And then we have some remote teams and I'm remote. I'm in Stockholm uh, these days. And so we already had a lot of these processes uh, up and running and it wasn't really that much of a problem. For, for me, nothing really changed. Uh, for the guys who were in the office, they're now working from home. Uh, we, we use tools, tools for, for remote work. Favro is actually one of them. Uh, and, uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's almost, it feels bad. I think this is a, this is a thing that most of the games industry, I, my friends from the games industry feel also that it's almost, uh, what's the word? Um, there's a Swedish, good Swedish word for this that I'm, 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 it's like almost undeserved, you know, like how good things are for the games. And it not only is business even better, but it's like our, our lives are really not that impacted uh, by this horrible, horrible thing that is killing hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, you know, before it's over. So it's, um, yeah, it's this weird kind of feeling. Um, but, but that, it, that's the story of how, it has impacted our company not much. Uh, if anything, it's probably going to be easier for us to convince people that our products are going to be even that much more valuable now and in the future. Because, yeah, it's it's um, it 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 makes sharing three uh, D content much easier. Uh, that's really kind of another um, key thing that is a bit of a tease, I guess, for for our product. But um, in terms of the second part of the question is like, how are we going to go back I, again? It's going to be not much different. We're going to have the guys who are in Bratislava. They're going to be able to gather uh, in the office again and uh, have the benefits that are there for actually being together. I, we, we deliberately wanted our core tech team to be physically together because there's a lot of knowledge uh, exchange, especially in the beginning now from, from my co-founder Bronislav's brain, you know, where, where this, 
an enormous store of, of experience and knowledge about voxel technologies had to be transferred into the brains of all our core tech guys. Uh, that was better done in person, uh, as you can imagine. So yeah, they're going to go back to the office, but all our processes, all our meetings and all this stuff is all zoom based anyway. And, and, uh, so it's really not that much of a change. Um, you mentioned that you used, uh, you know, Fabry already, you know, before, yeah. you know, COVID hit. So, you know, yeah. great. Um, I mean, more specifically, do you have some examples of you know, problems that you, um, uh, that you have, have solved with, uh, you know, using Favro? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, in general, I mean, again, like I said, I've done this like remote production thing for, for a long time before this. And, and uh, I used Trello in our previous company which served us pretty well, but I, I const consistently came into this like overwhelmed feeling uh, with, with Trello where, you know, we just had boards with endless cards and it actually started running slow because of that also. And it, now it's, it's compounding the problem because uh, I hope people um, realize how much a little bit of friction actually affects your, your outcome in the end. Uh, this is this is true for physics in general, like a artillery shell that's fired and it has no air friction, it'll go forever, right? Like it'll fly into space, right? But, um, or in orbit. Uh, but if you just add a little bit of air friction, it, it'll it'll dramatically shorten that, that, that length that it goes, right? And if you, if you fire it through water, it'll just, you know, immediately stop. So friction is, is huge. And, and even if you think that doing small actions like anything simple, like moving some cards around or editing them or, and it takes just a fraction of a second longer and you do that hundreds of times a day, it really wears down on your energy in general and, and just your time uh, in, in, you know, in, in real sense, but also just your mental kind of, man, this feels like more work than uh, if something just took a little bit shorter for these basic actions. And, when when something like Trello starts slowing down because there's hundreds of cards on the on the on the board, now you know not only do you have hundreds of cards that make you feel overwhelmed, but you also feel like you're 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 dealing with some kind of syrup. You know, like it's uh it's not good. And Faro is built from the ground up clearly to be very fast and 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 responsive. Uh, and it's it's one of the things that not only the way that we can we can order the or organize the views uh, better in a way that makes it not so feel so overwhelming you know each person can filter out everything so they only see their stuff i know there's some tools for that in in, in trello but they're just not as refined and uh in favor we feel like that is much more powerfully done but also the the actions are more snappy like opening a card editing some stuff and just like closing it is is quite nice and fast and it has some nice keyboard shortcuts, which I think is very powerful. I think the keyboard is an underrated input uh, device. And as soon as you start reaching for a mouse, you know, now you're adding those milliseconds to every action. It's not, not a good thing. Any programmer I think can relate to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, cool. And, 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 um, you know, I remember, um, we had a conversation before around, around Jira where, you know, I think I brought up the, the, the case that, um, many of kind of our startup customers, um, they they simply they, they make more of a choice between you know what mm -hmm. tool to use versus with more of the customers we have that's been around for a while, the bigger organizations. Mm -hmm. There, it's very often that they actually use the Favor integration with Jira, uh, so it will go hand in hand. And then you know for the rest of the organization outside of engineering, you know they will use Favor and yeah, some yeah. of the things that have to do with engineering they use, use Jira. But uh, how's, how's your situation I mean with with these kind of things? 
Well, we looked. We did look at. We actually, in the early days of of uh, at a you know, three years ago, we did start with Trello actually, and and tracked our tasks more of like the forming the company and so on. When we started the production with with actual programmers as our teams formed, uh, we started. Yeah, we 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 did a survey basically of all the tools out there, and there's a lot. You know, Jira. You mentioned Monday. There's um, plenty of others as well that I, I'm forgetting now, but you know, and uh, it felt like a lot of these were kind of very legacy, e so to speak. Like they had a lot of um, history, and they were older, and they, they were like layers of of things on top of layers of things, and in both in the thinking and the process and so on. And um, what what to us like Favreau stood out a little bit because it it seemed like. Uh, a newer thinking of, you know, this is a pattern in general, you know, you have tools that get better over time. The newer tools are usually better because whoever is making that new tool is motivated enough to go through the pain of making a new mm -hmm. tool. And they're motivated because the things that are existing at the time um, have some flaws or downsides or some something that they want to improve on. And so usually the better tool, if they're competently built, you know, they're going to be better uh, because there's, there's new principles and there's um, better execution perhaps and so on. And so Favreau is, uh, I think that was one of the main things that made it win out for us. It seemed like it was a well thought out based on the current landscape of features and so on. And it, it didn't have things that it didn't need, but it had all the things it needed for, for what we needed. And that, that was pretty much what made us uh, zero in on it. Yeah. Awesome. No, that, that's really cool, especially coming from you know you who developed you know many many tools. Um, we're gonna switch back to to you, John. Now, um, you know, Daniel, you know, super thanks for um, for taking the time to have this this conversation with us. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. If you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favor.com. They will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.